So if you are a baseball fan, I do not mean to offend you, but let's be honest, we can all acknowledge that baseball is not exactly the sport that keeps you on the edge of your seat with excitement the entire time. Good grief, there is a seventh inning stretch to wake everybody up. However, however, if you're a baseball fan, you know this, and even those of you who are not baseball fans, there is nothing better in sports, there's nothing really that's any greater than when you are able to experience, you're able to watch a bottom of the ninth comeback in a baseball game. It's pretty dramatic. It's, whether you're a fan or not, it just kind of sucks you in. And there's no, not, in my opinion, not a better example of that than back in 2011, Game 6 of the World Series. I don't know if you remember this. If you're not a baseball fan, I'll have to catch you up on this. But it was a World Series between the Texas Rangers and the best franchise in baseball history, the St. Louis Cardinals. There we go. There we First service, I said that, and it was crickets. And I was like, is this all Cubs fans? Why do no wonder I don't like this service. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, Cubs fans. So, yeah, so the Cardinals and the Rangers are playing. The Rangers never won a World Series before. If you don't know anything about baseball, they never won one in their franchise history. And game six, Rangers are ahead. They actually, at five different points during that game, the Cardinals were trailing. And all the Rangers had to do is win game six. They were going to win their very first World Series. Got down to the bottom of the ninth inning. Two outs, two strikes. This is about as dramatic as you can get. Two outs, two strikes. And the hometown Cardinal, David Freeze, is up to the plate with men on base. Cardinals are down two. And if you didn't see this, if you don't remember this, then you deserve to see it. Here's exactly what happened. Watch this. You can cheer if you're a Cardinals fan. That's okay. Yeah, that was pretty fun to watch. Now, the, the reason, oh, my goodness, there they are. There they are. The, the reason, see, this just goes to prove our church loves anybody. We'll take, we'll even take you non-Cardinals people, even though <clears throat> you may lose quite often. So, the, uh, so here's the thing. I got to be honest about this. So I'm watching this game. But I get up at, at 5 o'clock every single morning, which means this thing was going, I mean, I, it ended at like 1 a.m. I don't know, it was something ridiculous. So I kept trying to watch this game, and then I would fall asleep, and Freeze got that base hit, and Bush Stadium erupted, and I woke up when it happened. So I just caught the highlights throughout the game. I'd fall asleep, wake up every time there was a cheer. But it was pretty dramatic. So they go into extra innings, they go into extra innings, it's all tied up. Cubs take the lead in the 10th again. Bottom of the 10th, Cardinals find themselves in the exact same situation. The, the Rangers, again, are one strike away from the World Series. They're down, Cardinals are down one run. Bottom of the 10th. I don't know if you remember Lance Berkman. If you're a Cardinals fan, you remember Berkman. He is up to bat. Here's what happens bottom of the 10th. Watch this. Strike two on Berkman, and again, the Cardinals are down to their last strike, and the Rangers are one strike away. Tying run at second base. In the air to right center. This game is tied. Going to third is Pujols, and it's 9-9. And that is the second time I woke up that night. So uh, this is merely for the benefit of all you Cardinals fans. Goes to the 11th inning. 
it's tied up, freezes back up to bat, and you remember what happened, don't you? This right here. Freeze hits it in the air to center. We will see you tomorrow night. There are two things you can count on in baseball. In a situation like that, grown men are going to act like little leaguers, and they're always going to spit something out of their mouth when they hit a home run. Those two things are always guaranteed. So if you're, if you're not a baseball fan, the thing you need to know, obviously the Cardinals won that game. They went on to win their 11th World Series in the very next game. If you're a Texas Rangers fan, I'm so sorry you came to church today. I didn't mean to rub that in. But uh, that's, just, that's just the way it went. And it turned out to be one of the more dramatic World Series ever. My point is simply, there is something about that kind of drama that pulls everybody in, that gets everybody's attention. There's something about needing, you know, needing a comeback of that magnitude that just gets you on the edge of your seat. Now, real quickly before we go on, if you are a Cubs fan, I know we have Cubs fans who come to our church. We love you. If you are a Cubs fan, you're sitting there thinking, are you kidding me? You went all the way back to 2011. For the first time in 108 years, we won one. In dramatic fashion last year, why are you not giving the Cubs their due? It's not, listen, I'm a Cardinals guy, but I'm a, I'm a big enough man. I will give you guys your due, okay? You deserve a little respect for what you did last year. Here you go. Okay, there you go. <laughs> it was on there a little too long, but it was close enough. So you, you got it. You got it. Now, here's, here's the thing. If, you, if you're an athlete, you know this. Um, it's even true for fans. If you talk to any of these athletes, the thing is that when you, when you talk to an athlete about one of these come-from-behind wins, the thing they will all tell you is nobody, no athlete, no athlete loves the, uh, the journey to get there. Like every athlete loves it when it's over, when the game's over and they're all jumping up and down at home play. Nobody loves what it takes to get there because what it takes to get there is you're actually behind and you got a ton of stress and especially if you're at the plate you know the fate of your entire team and in this case the entire World Series rested in the hands of at one point David Freeze and at one point Lance Berkman and, I, and this, as only reporters can do after game six after all of that that transpired there was a reporter who looked at Lance Berkman and I, I don't know what he was thinking really but he asked Berkman he said hey what did it feel like being at the plate, being down to your final strike, and knowing you were about to lose the World Series for your entire team if you didn't get a hit? Now, what kind of question is that? Like, it's a pretty obvious answer, right? But if you know Lance Berkman, you'll appreciate this as only he can. Here was Lance Berkman's reply. He said, heck, when you're down to your last strike, nobody ever thinks, boy, this is great. That's true, isn't it? I mean, that's about as obvious as it can be, but it's true. No, no player ever thinks, man, this is awesome. I'm so glad we're behind and we can, you know, try for a comeback here. You'd rather win big. Well, what's true in baseball is also true in life, isn't it? Like, we all face our own bottom of the ninth moments, and they're different for all of us. But it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian. The reality is, because of life, because of the way life works, 
you are going to experience moments in life that are like a bottom of the ninth. You're going to experience moments in life where you have a setback that requires a nearly impossible comeback, and you're not sure what you're going to do and how you're going to navigate through it and how things are ever going to change. And just like Lance Berkman, when you find yourself in those situations, you never think, and I never think, boy, this is awesome. We're going to get to see something special happen here. No, you're, you're pretty upset about what's going on in life, aren't you? Because it is not fun. It is not enjoyable, and it is certainly not something any of us would choose if we could. But we all have moments, and some of you are in them right now, where you feel like you're down to your last strike. Some of you may feel like you're down to your last strike emotionally. You're dealing with anxiety. You're dealing with maybe depression, and you've done everything you could do. You've seen doctors. You've tried medicines. Like you, you're trying everything you can to get a handle on it, and you just can't seem to get a handle on it. And you're thinking, boy, if the rest of my life is like this, if I've got to battle this kind of anxiety or this kind of depression for, you know, from here to the end, you're just not sure how you're going to deal with that. You feel down to your last strike. For some of you, it may be another health issue, but the doctor has looked at you and said, hey, things are going to get a lot worse before they get better, or maybe, and this is even more difficult, when they say things are going to get a lot worse and they're not going to get any better, or you're just going to have to live with this for the rest of your life. Those are Those are moments where you feel like you're down to your last strike and you're thinking, I don't know how I can handle and manage this because I'm not sure I can last very long. Some of you, you you may feel like you're in a bottom of the ninth moment when it comes to your marriage. And you, again, you've tried the counseling, you've tried to do all the things you can do and you've read the books and you, you know, you put all the effort in, things aren't getting any better. They just keep getting worse, and you know, you're thinking this is going to end in divorce, or you're thinking, okay, I, I don't want it to end in divorce, but I'm just going to have maybe to, to settle and accept the fact that the rest of my life, my marriage is just going to be what my marriage is right now. That, that's when you feel like you're down to your last strike. Some of you, it may be financial. Your margin financially keeps getting smaller, and you know what happens when your margin gets smaller financially? Your peace dissipates too, doesn't it? Because margin brings peace. And so as the margin keeps getting smaller for you financially, the stress keeps going up. As the margin keeps getting smaller and maybe the debt keeps increasing, it's getting to be a struggle and you're looking at numbers and you can't figure out how it's all going to work out and how you're going to dig out of this hole. Maybe you're contemplating bankruptcy. Maybe you've decided, you know what, that's probably the only option. Like We're down to our last strike and I do not see a way out of this. For some of us, for some of us, our bottom of the ninth may be uh, in a friendship. It may be with a career, not knowing where that's going to turn or what's going to happen. For some of you, your bottom of the knife may be an addiction. Maybe your addiction, and you have tried to break free, and you just, it seems like you just can't break free. You always end up, or you've got a friend or someone you love, and it seems like they just can't break free, and you keep thinking, I don't know if things are ever going to change. I don't know if they're ever going to improve. It could just be life in general. Some, you know, you wake up every day and you just kind of go through the motions and there's no meaning, there's no sense of purpose, there's no sense of significance and you're just thinking, okay, I don't know, I don't get it. Like, there's got to be more to it than this, but you just can't seem to figure it out. And you've gotten to the point where life's just so hard in general or so meaningless that you just wish you could, you know, put an end to it. Or you just decided, well, I guess there's nothing better to do than just go through these motions over and over again. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, Like, one of the things we all have in common is we find ourselves in these moments, don't we? And when we find ourselves in a bottom of the knife moment, we all feel the exact same emotion. It's just, it's common to all humans. When you are in a bottom of the knife, what you feel is this. You feel down and you feel out, and so do I. 
You feel down and you feel out. And the reason we feel that way is because when you're in the bottom of the knife, doubt tends to suck the hope right out of your heart. And hope is like oxygen for the soul. So as you begin to lose hope, what ends up happening is you end up in a dark place. You end up in a very discouraged place. You end up in a place that feels hopeless. And when you're down and out, that is the moment where you feel like there's nothing to do, there's nowhere to turn, there's no answer to this problem. I might as well give up. So the reason I wanted to do this series is I wanted to take the next few weeks to talk about what do, you, what do you do when you feel down and out? What do you do when you find yourself facing a bottom of the knife moment? Because again, the reality is, it's just life. If you're not in one right now, you're going to be in one soon. It's just the way life works. So what do you do? The thing I hope you walk away from after these next few weeks, if nothing else, I just hope you walk away with this simple idea, with this simple truth, with this simple piece of hope that you can hold on to. That you may be down, but you are not out. You may be down, but you are not out. In other words, we serve a heavenly father who loves to take dead ends and turn them into deliverances. We serve a heavenly father who specializes in taking setbacks and using them as setups for something very special. He loves to take a setback and use it as a setup for a comeback of some kind in your life and in mine. Now, that doesn't always mean things turn out the way we want them to, and we're going to talk about that. But it does always mean there is a purpose behind whatever happens, and there is something good that can come out of whatever happens. And while you are down, it does not mean you are ever, ever, ever out. So, for the next few weeks as we go through this series, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what do you do when you find yourself in the bottom of the knife because there are a couple things that you and I have to do if we're going to meet God, if we're going to experience God, if we're going to see him at work in the middle of our desperation. We're going to talk about how to avoid the temptations that all of us face. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. There is a temptation every single one of us face when we're in the bottom of the knife. There is a temptation to take a shortcut, and it's that shortcut that will end up costing us. It's that shortcut that we always end up regretting. But we all feel it. We all face it. And so we're going to talk about how to avoid that. And then, and this is where some of you are, we're going to talk about what do you do when you lose? Because every bottom of the knife does not end in a comeback. It just doesn't. And for some of you, as you, you know, I started talking about this, that this morning. This is it's kind of what riled you up. It's what made you a little angry or made you a little tense because your story is there was no comeback from your point of view. Your story is the marriage did end or the bankruptcy was filed, or that son or that daughter that was in rebellion never did come back, or that addiction was never broken, or whatever it is. And so you're thinking, well, you know, where was God in the middle of all that? Well, we're going to talk about that. Most importantly, we're going to talk about that how you respond, what you do when you lose, makes all the difference in the world, not only in what happens in you, but in what God wants to do through you in the middle of that loss. And then the final week of the series... We're going to talk about how you can help and how you can encourage friends who are facing their own bottom of the knife moments. Now, you know this from experience. When you're in the bottom of the knife, there's nothing more valuable than having a friend who knows how to respond the right way, a friend who shows up and encourages you and supports you in a way that's so meaningful. You, you wouldn't give anything in the world for a friend like that. On the other hand, we've all been in bottom of the knife moments where people, very well-meaning people, tried to encourage us and just did the wrong thing and just really made it worse, didn't they? So we're going to talk about how you avoid doing that and how you encourage and support and cheer on your friends 
when they're in the bottom of the ninth. But today, what I want to start with, I, I don't think you can have this discussion without starting here. It, it's the very simple idea of what do you do with the doubts that you feel in bottom of the ninth moments, because we all feel doubts. We all feel doubts. You can't go through a bottom of the ninth without questioning some things. You can't go through a bottom of the ninth moment, whatever yours is, without questioning at some uh, cases why, whether people care, like where are they, and I thought they would show up, and I thought they were my friend. You know, you have all those things. But you also, and this is true even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you tend to find yourself thinking this, but all of us Christians do. You can't go through a bottom of the ninth without questioning whether God cares, without wondering where is he? And if, why would he let this happen? And if all this is going on and he could fix it or he could change or he could do this, why is he not doing this? Like all of those questions and all of those doubts rise to the surface. And if you're not careful, this is true for all of us, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we will let doubt take us out. We will let doubt overwhelm us when we're in the bottom of the ninth moment. So you've got to figure out what to do with that. And I don't think there's a better place to start this conversation than right there. There is a story in the Gospel of Mark. It's actually in the account that Matthew wrote, Mark wrote, and Luke wrote. All three of them tell the exact same story of a man who was in a significant bottom of the ninth moment. If you're a parent, you're going to understand this. This is probably as, as difficult a bottom of the ninth as you can be in because it related to the health of his son. His son, and this is going to sound a little weird. I understand that. Don't, don't lose sight of the big picture because of this if you're not a, uh, a follower of Jesus or you're not sure what you believe because this does sound a little weird. But this man, all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us, this man believed, this man believed that um, his son was possessed by an evil spirit. And he said that evil spirit caused his son never to be able to speak. We don't know how old he was at this point, but he says since childhood he hadn't been able to speak. So the son's a little older, obviously. And this uh, evil spirit, the father said, would throw his son into convulsions or into seizures, endangering his life. And apparently, and I'm kind of reading between the lines here, but apparently the father had done everything the father could do in that culture for his son, just like I'm sure any of us, if we were in his shoes, would have done. And nothing had worked. And nothing had worked, and nothing had worked, and he had gotten down to his last strike, and he didn't know where else to turn or what else to do, and he was scared to death that he was going to lose his son one day to this. And then he hears about Jesus, and he hears that Jesus has been traveling around the region, and he's been healing people. And so the father does what any of us would do. He says, you know what? Maybe there's hope. I'm down to my last strike, but maybe this is exactly what I need. And so he decides to bring his son to Jesus. The problem is when he gets him to Jesus, Jesus, Peter, James, and John have all gone somewhere else. And all that this man finds are the rest of Jesus' disciples. And this is kind of embarrassing for them. But he looks at them and says, hey, I brought my son here because I heard that your rabbi, that your teacher, that he's been healing people. So I need, my, my son needs healing. Would you please heal my son? And they try. And I don't know what this looked like. I don't know if they prayed harder, you know, they put their hand, I don't know what it looked like. But they try, and they try, and they try, and they can't heal this son. And so the father is in desperation. And about the time he's lost all hope, Jesus, Peter, James, and John show back up. And as they show up, just the way it happened to be timed out, as they show up, this son has a seizure. He has a convulsion. And Jesus sees everything that transpires. And as he's watching all of this, he and this father get into an exchange, get into a conversation that is fascinating because this father shows us exactly what to do when we find ourselves in a bottom of the ninth. 
and we're carrying all this doubt, and we just aren't sure what to do with our questions. So I want to read you the account that Mark wrote down for us. Here's what Mark says happens in Mark chapter 9. Jesus asks the boy's father, when he walks up and sees all this, he asks the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And from childhood is what the father Answer. And then the father goes on and says this, It, talking about the evil spirit, has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Now I love this. Notice this. Then the dad looks at Jesus and says, But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now what I love about this is this is a perfect picture of the mixture of faith and doubt that so many of us carry. Apparently, this father had heard enough about Jesus to know Jesus was a person who had pity or compassion. That's another way to say that. Who had compassion on those who were suffering. And so he's basically saying, Jesus, I understand who you are. Like, I understand your character. I think I know enough about you to know that you are a person of compassion and that you're a person who would want to help my son. I don't have any doubts about that. What I don't know about you is whether you have the ability to. I know you'll want to help my son. I just don't know if you can. I know you'll, you'll want to heal him. I just don't know if you have the power to do it. So if you can do anything, Jesus, if you can do anything, would you please help us? Now, part of the reason I love this is because this is where we live, isn't it? If we're honest, if we're honest, isn't this where we live? That we face situations and circumstances all throughout our lives where we find ourselves holding on to faith and doubt at the very same time where we find ourselves going, okay, I, I, I believe Jesus is, I believe God is, and I believe God does, but, 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 our circumstances don't seem to prove it, but I can't figure out why God isn't moving, but I can't figure out why God wouldn't solve that. Like, I've always believed God can, but now I'm, I don't understand why God won't, and where is he in this, and does he care? And, you know, we just have all this, this mixture. It's just so confusing because we're holding on to these two handfuls of faith and doubt at the very same time. And what has often been communicated to us and what we often feel is whenever we hold faith and doubt, we feel like well, I, ought to be, I ought to feel guilty about that. Something's wrong with that. Like, I, you know, if I had enough faith, I wouldn't have any doubt. And that is simply not true. It's not true. One of the things that this father understood, and I don't know what enabled him to understand this or come to terms with this, but one of the things that this father understood was this very simple but very powerful idea. That faith isn't the absence of doubt. Faith is moving ahead in spite of doubt. This is so important. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Doubt is not an indication that your faith is weak. Doubt is a prerequisite for you to have a faith that is great. Now, let me say that again. Doubt is not an indication that you have a weak faith. Doubt is a prerequisite for you to have a great faith. Just stop and think about this for a second. It is impossible, is impossible for you to need faith if doubt doesn't also exist. Like if you have this much doubt, then how much faith do you need? Just about that much. It's when you're holding all of these doubts that it requires a great faith to continue to believe God and to trust God anyway. There is no need for faith if doubt is not present. The problem is not, oh, I feel doubt I'm facing this situation. I can't figure out where God is. Why would God let this happen? Why didn't he? I've got this doubt. I must have weak faith. That's not your problem. That's not my problem. The only thing we have to be careful of is not to let doubt overwhelm our faith or overcome our faith. We can't let doubt take us out. But faith is never the absence of doubt. 
Just because you feel doubt doesn't mean your faith isn't strong. Matter of fact, the more doubt you feel, the greater the faith it takes. And the greater faith you have an opportunity to demonstrate in your heavenly father. And this dad understood this. He understood faith wasn't the absence of doubt for him. Faith was moving ahead in spite of his doubt. And what that meant was this father saying, you know what? I know Jesus has compassion, but I don't know if he has the power to heal my son. But I'll tell you what, I'm not going to sit here and just wonder about it. I'm not going to sit here and let my doubt paralyze me. I'm going to get up and I'm going to take my son to Jesus and we're going to find out for ourselves whether he has the power. I am going to move ahead in spite of my doubt. That's what this man's faith looked like. It's why he had such great faith that Jesus chose to honor. Now, for you and for me, it looks much the same. It means that when you find yourself in the bottom of of the knife, and you're not sure where God is, and you're not sure why he would allow this, and you're not sure why he let that happen, and you're not sure why he didn't intervene in this situation, and you're not sure why he's not showing up and doing something now. Faith is not removing all of those doubts and all of those questions. Big faith does this. Big faith says, I have these questions and doubts, but I'm going to move ahead in spite of it. I have these questions and doubts, and I'm not sure it's going to work out, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I know God is asking me to do in this situation, even though I can't figure out how it's going to work. I'm not sure my son, my daughter, my brother, my sister is ever going to come back from that addiction or ever going to come back from that rebellion, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep putting healthy boundaries in place in this relationship, and I'm going to keep reaching out because that's what faith does in the midst of doubt. I'm going to move ahead right in spite of the questions I have. I'm not sure how we'll ever work our way out of this financial situation. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to keep managing or I'm going to start managing my money the way God says to manage it. And I'm just going to trust him to do what I cannot do. I I know that nothing in my heart wants to forgive. I know that nothing in my world, it makes no sense whatsoever to forgive in this situation. But I know that's what God says to do. And so in spite of all my questions, in spite of all my uncertainty, in spite of all the doubt that's rattling around inside of me, in spite of the fact I'm not sure I'm capable of forgiving, I'm going to act forgiving anyway. I am not going to get answers to all of my questions. I'm just going to move ahead in spite of my doubt. That is what faith does, and that is exactly what this father did. In spite of all of his doubts about whether Jesus could, he said, I'm grabbing my son, we're going to find him, and we're going to act as if we are certain that he can do it. Because I, I only have two options. For the dad, his only two options were give up or look up. The only way that this father was going to know was if he decided to go. If he stayed where he was, he'd never know whether Jesus could. And the same is true for you and for me. And so I love his honesty. He just looks Jesus right in the eye and he says, okay, if you can do anything, I don't know if you can or not. I got a lot of doubt. But if you can do anything, have some compassion and help us. And Jesus' response is so interesting. And I don't think Jesus said this with a critical tone. I don't think Jesus said this with a condescending or a, you know, I can't believe you blew this and you got doubts kind of tone. I think what Jesus said next to this guy was said in such a way to build his faith. It was said in such a way to cheer him on and encourage him. 
not to let doubt take him out. Here's how Jesus responded. If you can, I, I caught that. I heard that doubt. If you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Everything is possible. This was Jesus' way of saying, I hear that doubt. That's okay. Just don't let doubt take you out. I hear that doubt. That's okay. Just do not let doubt overwhelm your faith in this moment. Don't let it. Because everything is possible if you just believe. Now, this is not a guarantee that God's going to do whatever we want him to do. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus wasn't saying, well, if your faith is big enough, then it always calls God to do what you want. And if God doesn't do what you want, then your faith wasn't big enough. That's not what he was teaching. He was just teaching, listen, he's telling this father, listen, I, I don't want you to miss this. You are talking to one who can. You are talking to one who has all power. You are talking to one who there is never a situation that is impossible. Everything is possible. But in order to have a chance at seeing God at work in your life, you've got to believe. Do not let your doubt limit God's opportunity to do something extraordinary in your life. If you want to see God at work in the middle of your bottom of the ninth moment, the reality of it is you have to be an everything is possible kind of person. And all I mean by that is you, and we're going to talk more about this next week, but you have to look at your situation, you have to look at your circumstances and acknowledge the impossibility of it, but also acknowledge what I can't do, I do follow a God and I do have a heavenly father who can do it. He may not, but I know he can. He may not, but I know he can. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to do what I can do, and then I'm going to trust him to do the rest. But I'm not going to limit what God wants to do in my life by a lack of faith, by a lack of trust. I'm not going to close the door on his involvement in this situation. And when this man hears it, to his credit, this father responds in such an extraordinary way. Look at what he says next. Mark tells us that immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, Jesus, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Well, which is it, dude? <laughs> he would say it's both. It's both. I mean, this, this is so brilliant. This is so honest. This is the kind of honesty that, you know, all of us, when we're in the bottom of the knife, this is the kind of honesty we need to demonstrate, that we need to express. This father looks at Jesus and says, you know what, I believe. I'm carrying all these doubts and I'm carrying all these questions, but I am not going to let my doubt get in the way. That's why I brought my son to you. I'm not going to let my doubt keep me from experiencing what you want to do in my life. If you want to move here, I'm not going to let my doubt block it. I do believe, Jesus. I believe you're capable. I believe everything is possible for you but I'm still carrying all kinds of doubts and all kinds of questions. Would you help my unbelief? I'm doing everything I can, I believe, but that hasn't wiped away all my doubts. It hasn't wiped away the questions. It hasn't wiped away me wondering, God, you know, if you care so much, why have you let this happen to my son? If you care so much, why haven't you healed him already? If you cared so much, why have we gone through this for so many years? The father's saying, I still have all kinds of questions and doubts. And I'm still not sure that I'll walk away from this and my son's going to be healed. But I believe you can. And I believe if you want to, you will. Now you just help me with all my doubts. And Jesus looks at the father and says, good enough, good enough. And he heals his son. Now, 
Here's why I think this is so powerful. The honesty here is something that most of us run away from when we find ourselves in the bottom of the ninth moment. That we feel like if I have any doubts, if I acknowledge my doubts, if I tell anybody about my doubts, it just shows that my faith is weak and then maybe God won't move or God won't act. And that is not the way it works. It's not the way it works. The healthiest thing you can do in a bottom of the ninth moment is to say, okay, I'm coming to you, Jesus, but I got all these doubts. I'm coming to you, but I got all these questions. I'm coming to you, and I'm not even sure you're paying attention or you care right now, else why would I be here? But I'm still coming. I'm still coming. I'm still coming, and I want to sort through all my doubts and all my questions with you. And let's see what you want to do in this situation. So over the next few weeks, we're going to process through this. If you walk out of here today with more questions and answers, that's okay. That's probably normal. But hopefully we're going to answer your questions over the coming weeks as we dig into what this looks like. To carry our doubts, to carry our questions, to carry our concerns, and still hold on to faith. I want to give you a little bit of homework, though, for this week to get us started. There are two things specifically I want to ask you to do. The first one's really easy. Come back next Sunday. That's simple. We can all do that one. Come back next Sunday because... There are two things when you're carrying your doubts and your faith and you're trying to hold on to both of these, there are two things that are absolutely essential for you to do if you want to open the door and give God an opportunity to show up in your bottom of the ninth moment. There are two things that are crucial to do. We're going to talk about those next week. So you've got to come back next week for that. But the other thing I want to get you to do is simply this. When you leave today, our guest services volunteers are going to be at the exits. And they're going to give you a card that looks like this. I hope you'll grab this card because I want you to take it home and do a couple simple things with it. On one side of it, it says, my bottom of the knife, and there's a place for you to write something down. I want you to sit down with this card and be really honest with yourself and really honest with God. What is the situation? What is the circumstance? What is your bottom of the knife that you're facing? Where do you feel like you're down to your last strike? Maybe it's in a relationship with a kid. Just write it down. You don't have to show it to anybody, but be honest with yourself and be honest with God. Maybe it's in a health situation that you know is never going to turn around and you can't understand why and you're not sure how you're going to be able to cope with this long term. Maybe it's in a marriage. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's you're not getting into the schools you want to get into. Maybe it's in your relationship with God. You're not even sure if there's a God. You're not even sure if he's there. And you sure can't figure out how he could possibly love you based on what you've experienced in your life. Just be honest enough to put it down. This is what, this is what I'm facing. This is where I feel like I'm in a bottom of the knife. And then the other thing I want to encourage you to do is simply this. On the back of this card is a prayer that will take you 10 seconds to pray. But I want to encourage you to pray it every single morning just for the next seven days. And the prayer is the prayer of this dad. It's simply to pray, Lord, I believe. Now help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. Like, okay, here's the bottom of the knife I'm facing. And I do believe you're capable. I do believe you could change it. I do believe you still love me and, and you still care, even though all of this is going on in my life. Lord, I believe. That's what I want to believe. I'm not going to let go of that. But I've got so many questions, so many doubts. So would you please, Lord, help my unbelief? 
Now, here's the beauty of this prayer. Here's why this prayer is so powerful. When you pray this prayer, what you do is open up the door of your life and invite your heavenly Father to show up in a place in your life where you need him most. And in a way, quite honestly, that you would never experience him otherwise. There's some things about God you can only learn when you're in a bottom of the knife moment. And if you will be honest enough to pray this kind of prayer, you invite him in. When you say, okay, I've got all these questions, I've got all these doubts, but Lord, I believe. Now help me with all this. Lord, I believe. Help me with my doubts. Lord, I believe, but I'm still not sure. That is the kind of honesty, that is the kind of invitation that your heavenly Father will answer every single time. And it doesn't mean that your bottom of the night is going to end up in a comeback. But it does mean that you're going to come to experience him and to know that he is with you. And there is something extraordinarily powerful about watching your little bitty faith. i got all these doubts, God, but I still believe. I still believe I'm not going to let go. There's something so powerful when your little bitty faith intersects with God's great big faithfulness. And he shows up in your life in a way you did not anticipate. And you realize, maybe even though nothing in your circumstances change, you realize that he is there and that he cares and that his love for you will never change. So just make this your prayer, just for the next seven days. Lord, I believe. Lord, I am going to choose to hold on to this hope that you do care and that you're with me. Now help me with my unbelief because I can't figure out why you let that happen and I can't figure out why I had to lose that person and I can't figure out why this had to unravel. God, I can't figure out why you're not changing things now. I don't get it. I've got all of these doubts. But I want to believe. God will always answer that simple prayer. Your doubts are not an indication that you have weak faith. Your doubts are just the prerequisite for you to show a really big faith and a really big trust in your Heavenly Father. Faith is not the absence of doubt, so don't feel bad because you carry doubts. Don't try to hide them. Don't try to, you know, wish them away or explain them away or stuff them down where you ignore them. No, faith isn't the absence of doubt. Faith is just moving ahead in spite of your doubt. So what would it look like this week for you to move ahead in spite of all the doubts you carry? Maybe it looks as simple as praying this. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, if you were sitting here today and you thought about a friend or a family member, you know, a son or a daughter, somebody who's in a bottom of the knife moment, and you thought, man, I wish they were here to hear this, they... This is exactly what they need. You can share this website with them. We've created a website, BOTN, bottom of the nice series.com, BOTNseries.com. All the messages will be here. There are discussion questions. I would encourage you to sit down with some family or some friends, especially if you've got some people who are going through this right now, and just to talk about this together because you can encourage and help one another a lot. Until then, till next week, will you pray the prayer? And will you be honest with your Heavenly Father about the faith and the doubt that you're trying to hold on to? And will you invite him in to play a role and to play a part in your bottom of the knife? Let me pray for us. Father, for those who are in the middle of a situation, a circumstance where they feel down to their last strike, for those who aren't 
even sure whether you care or whether you exist because of the things they've gone through. And it just doesn't make sense to them how you could let it happen if you really cared. For those who are, feel like they're at the end financially, maybe they're at the end with infertility. They feel so alone because nobody talks about that until you know there's a bow on the story, and so they feel all alone, and they can't make sense of it. For those who are dealing with health issues that there's just no easy answer to. For those who are just at a point in life where it feels like there's no meaning, nothing's turned out the way they envisioned or dreamt it would turn out. This week, would you give them the wisdom to know what to do with this and the courage to do it? And I pray that they would pray this very, very simple but powerful prayer, that they would express just what this father did. That, Lord, I I do believe. I want to believe. Now help my unbelief. Because I'm holding on to faith, but I've got a lot of doubts too. Would you intervene and show up and intersect with their little bitty faith and may they experience your faithfulness in a way maybe they never have before, in a way that's so personal they will never, ever forget it. And it is in your name that we pray. Amen.